Well, this message that we're in called Be the Message, we've had lots of opportunities to do that in our community, and one of the ways is is what's called Love Minneapolis, and uh, together I um, had opportunity to talk with Pastor Dan Johnson at Plymouth Covenant, and um, we're with other churches in the area coming together to be involved if we want to, if you'd like to, in a, a week this summer where they want to kind of spend just 24-7, you know, what would happen, kind of like a divine experiment, if we gave a week where we just worship together um, and we we went and we reached out to people, what would God, might he do? So if you're interested in that, um, Alma Hammers from our, from our church will be at back with some others who uh, represent that Love Minneapolis group, and if you want to be a part of that and join us some other churches to do so, you can find that information in the table in the back, and uh, would love for you to, to love Minneapolis, that we might do that and see God begin to work and move in many, many ways. Well, let's pray. Father, we uh, come to your presence and would ask that uh, you would just quiet our hearts, that we might hear from you. As we look at your word, you would take, through the work of your spirit, that which is on your heart and impress it on ours. We invite you, um, Holy Spirit, come, speak, and I yield myself to you and pray that you would speak in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at a book called Philemon, so if you want to take a Bible that's in the pew, or if you want to watch on the screen above, and we're not going to look at all, but we're just going to look at a, it's only one chapter, um, and we're only going to look at one verse, but, <clears throat> but it's going to last two hours. No. <laughs> I was kidding to, uh, with Steve, one of our elders, uh, that I looked around at 9 o'clock, and we were like half empty, and I said, you know, about 10, about 10 minutes later it was full, and I thought, I'm going an extra 10 minutes because you guys are going to miss that whole hour. Anyway. Uh, anyway. You know what? Our actions have a ripple effect. All our actions have a ripple effect, but some have ones that we actually see and we see the impact of. Some of them in ways... That are, that are empowered by God, that actually change things. So in that, we're all very significant in God's kingdom. And he has given us this ability to act. And as that act happens, it has the ability to influence. This spring, I took some time away and uh, it was just kind of a time, a restorative time, and I spent some time at a friend's cabin up north, and it was in the April, and it was one of these kind of unusually warm and sunny days. You know what I mean? It was like a little over 70 degrees. It was unbelievably warm, and as I was there, it so happened that they were putting in the dock that same day, and I'm going, yes, it's warm. It felt like summer. And so I went out on the dock, and I, I, I sat, put my feet over the edge, and I, you know, took off my socks and was sitting there thinking about putting my foot in the water. The lake was still, too. It was like glass, seriously. This whole lake, it was as still as I'd ever seen it. And, and so I thought, okay, I'll just gently put my foot in the water. I wasn't going to do it real fast because I, you know, I was a little bit concerned it could be cold. And I just touched it. I went, whoa, even the, you know, 
Even my bottom of my foot was sensitive enough to know the coldness of that touch, and so as I pulled it back out of the water, I saw the slightest touch in this completely placid, like glass lake, began this ripple. I mean, I didn't touch it very hard. And I watched it and continued to watch it. It kept going and it got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that as I looked out, and it was this still, that I couldn't see it, though I knew it was still rippling. And I just thought to myself, as I kind of was there, just kind of in the presence of God, I thought to myself, as I pulled my ankle out, I'm sitting up here, I have this higher position, this kind of sovereign position. You know, if if I was down where my ankle was, right down by the water, I wouldn't be able to see all those ripples. But because where I was at, I was able to look and I saw this ever-widening circle that was the result of a little bit of impact, a small action. And I thought to myself, you know, it's amazing maybe what God sees from our actions There is a ripple effect. Bill Heatley writes, Mikhail Gorbachev, the former leader of the Soviet Union, who ultimately dismantled the most powerful communist country in the world, was asked this question. Who is your role model? And he identified Lech Walesa, the first freely elected prime minister of Poland and a man who had spent a great deal of time in prison in his quest for human rights and the leader of what we knew as the labor movement. And when asked the same question to Lech Walesa, he said, with regard to that person who had great impact on his life, he said Martin Luther King Jr., whose nonviolent protests for civil rights changed the face of America. And then Martin Luther King was asked that question, Heatley reports, and answering this similar question, his role model he said, was Rosa Parks for her strength in refusing to give up her seat on a bus. That action led to the bus strike in Mobile, Alabama that began what we know as the civil rights movement in America. And Healy writes, Rosa Parks influenced Martin Luther King Jr., who in turn influenced Lech Walesa, who then influenced Mikhail Gorbachev. And the ripple of Rosa Parks saying no I mean, just refusing to get out of her seat. I think where she was sitting, she didn't have any idea. Just saying no could be seen as a tiny action of an elderly woman, and yet it can be seen as an action that helped influence the end of the Cold War, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the reunification of Germany, the fall of the USSR, and the movement of democracy into the communist countries in Europe that were dominated by communism for over 50 years. Now, God could have brought that out and probably wouldn't maybe other ways, but that action he used. And our actions can ring far and wide. They have a ripple effect. And we have no idea this week an action that God could use that could have impact on your own family or others for years to come. The Apostle Paul wrote this short letter in Philemon, just this short little thing, one chapter. And Philemon was this wealthy owner of this business, obviously, but then had some slaves that he was also an owner of. He lived in the city of Colossae. 
And he became a follower of Jesus, more than likely when Paul was living in Ephesus for about three years, and there were some outlying cities, and one of them was Colossae, in which we have a letter written called Colossians in the Bible. And I just think about this. Here is this, this guy Philemon gets this letter. Paul's writing as he's imprisoned in Rome. And he's writing to Philemon because his, his slave, Onesimus, has run away. My guess is Onesimus was one who followed Jesus as well. But he wanted his freedom. And so he ran away. He ran from Colossae, which was quite a distance to go to Rome. And he sought out Paul, who was in prison. And Paul begins to meet with him. And Paul, at a certain point, goes, you know what? You have to go back to Philemon. And you can imagine how he's feeling. And he says, I want you to go. And so he says, I'll even write a letter, which is this letter. Can you imagine how many individual letters that Paul wrote but maybe weren't in the New Testament? But here's one that's in the New Testament. And Paul tells him to return. And he says, I will even write the letter to ask him to give you your freedom. Because he writes in verses 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated, he's writing to Philemon, Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And I think it's interesting that Paul appeals to Philemon to forgive Onesimus in the same way that he was forgiven by Jesus. Share some of the good things you've received with Onesimus. And this little letter, you may not realize it, but this little letter was so incredibly important back in the 1700s, 1800s, when the whole issue of slavery came up. Who would have thought the rippling impact? Well, what I want to share with you is a verse, verse 6 of the chapter 1. That has also a rippling impact in many people's lives and can. If you choose to say, you know, God, begin to start taking some of my actions as I intentionally seek to live in partnership with you. So after thanking God for Philemon's faith and the love that he had for all the, all the different people who followed Jesus, he called them saints, Paul adds in verse 6 this thought, listen to this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Now, I'm reading from the NIV 1984 version. Some of you have the newer one that says, I pray that your partnership, he's with us in faith, this idea that you would do what we're doing and become a partner with us in sharing your faith. You want to put it that way. So I like the way it's said here, that you may be active in sharing your faith. It's a simple request. And then he goes on and he shares about what I call a huge benefit. So that the result being you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. There will be a rippling effect as you begin to actively share your faith, both in your life and in the lives of many others. The Living Bible says it this way, and I pray that you share your faith with others, that as you do, it will grip their lives too, as they see the wealth of good things in you that come from Christ Jesus. Paul prays a simple request that will yield big benefits if we choose to follow the request that he makes. 
Now, when it comes to sharing your faith, Paul's prayer for you and me is very similar to, to Philemon. He's basically saying, if you haven't done it or you do it a little bit, he's asking you to become other, other-minded, outer-focused. Stick your toe in the water. Actively begin to share your faith. Become a partner with us and God in this adventure. So let's take a few minutes, and I just want to talk about this simple request to actively share your faith, and then we're going to conclude with some big benefits, and I'm excited about, as we get to that point, what we have in mind to share with you. So the simple request, actively share your faith, and there's basically three thoughts that I want you to think about. One is that you are to know your responsibility, find your style, and then just do your part. So as we think about this simple request, he says, actively share your faith. What's important is that you know your responsibility. And if you're reading that NIV version, the newer one, it says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective. And and the word effective means in the same sense of actively sharing your faith. Don't keep it hidden. In fact, let it be proven to be true and genuine by bearing fruit. So if, if God in Christ has forgiven you, go ahead and you may to forgive others. Let me just say, one of the things that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of God is a lack of forgiveness. So do it. Do the work of forgiveness. Anyway, um, he says, do this in such a way that you share your faith actively, and, and, and you do it in such a way that your life matches up, both in your words and your deeds. So it's not just about the things you do, but it's also that your words are spoken in the same way. And our responsibility, when you think about it, is, is, that, is, is not this. It's, it, our responsibility is to share our faith. It's not to convert someone. You're not to go out as you go to your neighborhood or your work or wherever you're at. It's not your job to change someone. Any, those of you who are married, how well have you done changing your spouse? Just doesn't work that way. It's not our ability to get someone to think the way that we think. It is our ability in actively sharing. Now, sharing is pretty easy to do, isn't it? It's kind of like if I'm sitting next to someone and I've got this really nice, let's use something that, you know, maybe we like, donut, right? And, and, and I am sitting there and they're looking hungry and I go, you know, would you like a piece? Now, my job isn't to actually try and... Sharing just means you ask. It, it means you just say, here's something, do you want it? In fact, we talked about this a few weeks earlier. Our responsibility is to witness, just like a guy who would be in the stand. The guy's job on the stand when they're in, in, in a court of law is not to try and convince the jury. Their job is just to tell the facts and the truth. It's like when Jesus healed this person in Mark chapter 5, and the guy's begging to go with Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he says to this guy begging to go with him, he says, no, go home. Go back to the network of your relationships, which I've placed you in, which God has placed you in. Your father has put you there. And here's two things you do as a witness. You go back to that place, you live in that way, you tell people about how much the Lord has done for you, says Jesus, and then he adds this, and how he's had mercy on you, which keeps you humble. You're just going back sharing something that's been done for you. It wasn't something you did for yourself. So that's your responsibility. It is to be a witness, it is to tell the good news, I love that N.T. Wright and other writers today talk about the good news. They say, you know, we have a problem with the good news. We've changed it to the good advice. 
You know what's good news? Good news is guy guy standing on the street corner years ago. Remember how they stand there and they say, you know, get the news. They would have the paper. They 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 were just they were kind of heralding out the truth. They're just saying, here's what I know. Here's the truth of what I've experienced. That's what it means. It's really pretty simple for every one of us. It's just to say, this is what the Lord's done for me. And man, you got to know that God's had mercy on me because I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I'm not perfect. But you're welcome to come to Jesus because he loves you. Be a witness. Share the good news. And here, I love it. Don't try and convert or change. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Okay? Let the Holy Spirit do the work in the person's heart of change. Let the Holy Spirit work in the person's heart to bring them to the point where they're supposed to be. Now, here's the second thing. Find your style. And it's really important. The word actively or translated in the um, NIV, the, the, the newer version, is effectively. means to do it in the way that God has wired you or created you. I, I, I would put it this way. It is important you effectively share your faith in a manner that is natural to you. That's what I, you know, I talked a few weeks ago about, you know, we get this idea of either being the superstar Christian or the super obnoxious believer who is sharing your faith. We're not to be on either extreme. We're just to be natural with who we are. Now, when I say it, doing it in a way that's natural to you, I'm not saying that it's comfortable. The reality is that any time you share your faith, whether you're doing something good and you're serving in an intentional way to, um, in an action of, of, of love, or you're sharing words of faith, you will experience discomfort because it is not a comfortable thing to do, especially in our culture. But that's where the Spirit of God, when you get into that uncomfortable place, and you do it the way He's created you, will come in with His comfort, His power, and you'll get an opportunity to see Him at work. So here's the styles. I'm just going to give you five. There's probably a lot more than that, but I'm going to kind of go through these quickly. And I want you to think about it. Is this kind of maybe who I am? Well, one of them is what I call a confrontational style, and the, you know, the, the one that is confrontive. And you think of, in the Bible, Peter. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, he says, with, it's written, with many words, he warned them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Anybody watching A.D., the Bible? You see, Peter, that's kind of confrontational. You know, here's what I love about AD Bible. I wish this was happening in my life. Like when I'd be going along and, and all of a sudden I sense the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. Wouldn't this be cool if all of a sudden you see the clouds start moving and the music starts playing? But in a sense, if we're sensitive and, and our heart is submissive and open to God, the Spirit starts moving and stirring if we're willing and we're walking that way. And so it's confrontational. It means it's direct, it's bold, it's a little more in your face. Um, they tell it like it is. You're the kind of person who minces no words. You're rather bold, conf- confident, and assertive. And, and they, they have that ability that when they do it, and you have to be careful because you can just run over people. But, but sometimes when you're really in the spirit, and this is kind of who you are, there isn't usually offense taken. You're just telling it like it is. And I, I just call that a confrontive style. I think of like a Chuck Colson or a Bill Hybels or I think Billy Graham has that ability. And people need your style. You may need to stick your toe in the water and see if there's some ripple effects. 
There's another style I think is, is natural to some people. It's what I call the intellectual style. Paul was kind of an example of that. In fact, these styles, you can have parts of it. It's, you know, like you know, take these tests where you're, you're maybe a little bit or stronger this way, but you have some of this. Well, I think all these styles, you may have a mix of some of them. And Paul had this intellectual style. In fact, before he even um, became that Damascus Road experience, he was a, a student of Gamaliel, who was one of the wisest, most intelligent men in that time. And so he had this ability to think like a lawyer, and, and Peter at one point even says, you know, the stuff that Paul writes, it's hard to understand, right? He's deep. Acts 17, he goes into Athens. He goes to the Areopagus. He can't wait to get there. And here's the philosophers of the world are meeting, and he can't wait to stand up and to kind of spout out his, his understanding. And, and the person with this kind of style is, is a person who likes to dig deep. They like to understand why. Um, and get behind um, what's, what's surface and understand and dig deep and give some evidence and reasoning for it. They enjoy supporting claims for things. They, ch- they, they like the challenge of a good debate. They're rather analytical. They're inquisitive and logical often. And I think of people like Ravi Zacharias or Josh McDowell. And in our local area, um, Don Byerly, or um, some of you know Reuben David. Have those kind of that's kind of intellectual style. Then there's another one that I want to talk about that I think every one of us can do. It's the testimonial style. And in the Bible, there's um, specifically I think of the blind man in John chapter nine who has been healed, and and they bring him before the religious leaders, and and he's just excited about what God has done, and they're starting to you know who is this Jesus, and they're, they're kind of moving into this kind of intellectual debate, and he's lost, and he's looking at him, and finally at one point because he doesn't want to play that game, he's not into that, he just testifies, he just witnesses to this fact. He says, I may not know the answer to all the questions you're asking me. But one thing I know is this. I was once blind, but now I see. That's a hard one to argue with. In a testimonial style, the characteristics of that is it's just, you kind of just say, this is what's happened in my life. It doesn't have to be overly dramatic. You don't have to have this big story. You just have the story of the fact that you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And some of you can do that really well. We all can do it to some extent. And there's examples like Lee Strobel today, um, Johnny Erickson Tata. Corey Tembloon was a person who just tell her story and people would just come to faith. There's what I call also then the connecting style. So it's kind of what I call interpersonal invitational style. In the Bible, there's a number of examples of this. Matthew um, shows us in Luke 5 that Matthew throws a party, brings all his friends together. He's a guy who's probably well-connected, even though he's a tax collector, brings all these people together, and, and then he invites them to be able to come to know Jesus. Or you think of the woman at the well. She runs back after meeting Jesus, and she goes to the town. So she must have had some kind of connection, and she gets the whole town, basically, to run out to meet Jesus. Or you can think of it in individual ways. You, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 44, you have the picture here of Philip looking for Nathaniel, finding Nathaniel, and bringing him to Jesus. These kind of people are people persons, right? You're probably sitting next to one of them. And, and they, they have this ability to make friends easy, they're connectors. They're often, they have a fairly large network of friends, and they're good listeners. They're, they have an ability to understand. They invest in relationships. They're hospitable. They're likable. They're believable. They're often respected. 
And, and they have this ability to connect and, and bring people um, into relationships. And in our churches, I mean, I, I could just, I mean, I just think of I, to people, and I kind of like when I do this, but Amy Alexander or Shelley McKendry in our church. There's just a few that I think of. Just, they just connect. And this is where the church, I think, it becomes a really valuable asset. And I'm not talking about the, the building. I'm talking about people. I'm not talking about programs. I was with someone this week, and they were sharing they brought some friends to church, and when they brought their friends to church to this program, they got done afterwards, and when they were talking, they didn't talk about the program. You know what they asked? How do I get friends like that? That's the kind of thing that happens with people who are connectors. They, they go, you know, you invited me into this circle. I mean, you brought me to this program, and, and I got to meet these people. It's... People come to faith in Christ through relationships, not often through programs. That happens, but it's about us. And then there's a style that I call the serving style. And a great example of that is in Acts chapter 9, if you ever want to read a cool story, about a, a lady named Dorcas who, she actually had passed away. And Luke tells us that there was this woman named Dorcas who always was doing good and helping the poor. She touched so many lives through her goodness, and then she passes away. Peter goes to visit the people where she was, and she was laying there ready to, to, to be buried and, and to go through that whole ceremony. And it says in the Bible that all the widows stood around Peter, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing Dorcas had made. And I just go, wow. And so then Peter goes, we need her. And he raises her from the dead, according to Acts. I'm certain many of those women who were standing around not only had their lives been touched and maybe come to Christ, but so did whole families. Because if a person has this characteristic of witnessing through serving, giving large amounts of time, often behind the scenes, doing humble, selfless acts of loving service, and their actions cause a ripple effect in the lives of many others. And that may be who you are. I think of uh, examples in our church. Again, I'm going to get some people... To the exclusion of many who do, I think of Linda Kapsner, I think of Dee Sandberg. I mean, many don't even realize Mike Brinkman. I think he goes drives the bus for different groups. He does, you know, whatever the help might be. Now, here's the third thing I want you to think about. So, if you think about your style, so what is your style, and are you using it intentionally? Your responsibility is merely to share using this natural style, and now I just challenge you to do your part. Just basically get in the game. Be intentional. How many are spectators when it comes to this? When God is saying, as he says to Philemon, the simple request, I just want you to partner with us. Everyone, you may not realize it, has a heart-homing device. They're hardwired. They're, it's built into who they are. It says in the Bible in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So the peop- there are people around you who have eternity set in their heart. So they're already wired this way. 
And if you think about it, here this is in Ecclesiastes for all the pessimism of this writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. He makes this observation that I think persistently harasses the human race, persistently has probably harassed you at one time before you came to faith, persistently is probably harassing someone around you who has got this hard homing device that God wants to bring to faith in him. And as the writer puts it, God has also set eternity in the human heart. So as one author puts it, and I love this, he talks about nature. Just think about this, this instinct for home in nature. One of the most amazing aspects of nature is how God has placed in animals a kind of built-in homing instinct of incredible accuracy. Homing pigeons can find their way home from places they have never been on the planet so accurately they were actually used in ancient times in Rome and also by Genghis Khan. Dung beetles actually navigate home by the Milky Way. Salmon leave the ocean and travel to the exact spot on the exact river where they were born. They navigate by magnetic waves. A gray whale will travel all the way to the little lagoon off Cabo San Lucas to give birth and care for her little family. Think about this. What are the odds she would migrate 12,000 miles to live in her exact home in Alaska? And yet she does. A mommy emperor penguin will let... This is a big deal. Will let dad care for her little penguin for four months while she goes off to feed her face. What are the odds she will find her way back to live in that exact spot with that exact penguin? And she does. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has put a little homing device in our spirit, in your spirit, in the spirit of someone next to you that you work with, that you live next to. And God has set eternity in their heart, and it whispers to us, that death is not the end, that there is something more, that this life is not all there is, and that we are not home yet. But there is a home. And God has set eternity in the human heart. Something in us knows instinctively that we are not home until we find our home in God. Now, do you believe that in nature? Do you think that God may have done that for even the brightest of his creatures? And I love what Terry Esau said a few weeks back. It just it continues to resonate with me. There, we are called in this sense to help people find their way home. We are in times, it's like the beach ball that's going around and you, get a, you maybe get a hit it maybe a couple times. And sometimes God actually puts someone in your life, throws it like a football that you're to carry. And you go through the stuff and you carry this person in your life for a period of time. Do you know that you have the opportunity? There are people around you, if we become other-focused, who have this homing device in their heart. And God has put you next to them to help maybe nudge them back home to God. And so a simple request is actively share your faith. And I'm going to have George come forward, and we're going to do something here just to talk about the benefits. And I'm going to share with you, there's, there's two real important benefits. George, if you want to come... That is one, the benefit that you will receive. That's what he says in here. You will get to see God at work. If you want your life to be an adventure, step out. Put your toe in the water. And the other is the impact you see in the lives of other people. So, George, you want to just share with us what God's been doing? Well, yeah, like I said, it's an honor to be up here. Um, you guys want to hear something cool? 
China came to us. We've been talking about uh, sending people out from Wazeta to other continents, to other states, to other parts of Minnesota. China has come to us, and it's a privilege to get up and talk about the Chinese ministry that we've had at our church. We've had John, Rich, and Karen that have just poured their lives into these students. Um, they've done things like take them down for driving tests. They've uh, done things like visas. They've been in their lives for their needs, for their everyday needs, but there's been more than that. They've been with them through times of sorrow. There's been broken relationships. There's been deaths that happen, and they've been right there with them. Uh, there's been also just a lot of times of celebration. So holidays are always a great time of celebration. A lot of you guys have had them in your homes, but um, I want to call your attention to three opportunities. Every month they go down to the Chinese Center, and uh, there's a Bible study. And then in August and September, there are two recruiting opportunities uh, where a lot of Chinese students have entered Wazeta through those. So if you're interested in those three opportunities, please let us know. But you poured your lives into them, and I think a lot has come out. I think this ministry is a gift. I think God created us beautifully diverse for a reason. And I think... When you get involved with someone from another culture, something happens, particularly another believer. When I get involved with someone from another culture, a believer, my God gets bigger. I start to understand more. I become a learner, and it's a privilege. I think John, Karen, Rich will tell you they've poured a lot into their lives. They've given a lot. But I think they'll tell you, I know they'll tell you, they've gotten more back than they've given. It is an opportunity. And I would like to introduce to you um, two people uh, this morning. Uh, the first one, his English name is Alex. Alex, come on up. He has a great testimony. I'm just going to, I just would like to say, I went a little long, so take your time. Oh. <laughs> you got to go. You go ahead and leave, but I want you to make sure they have an opportunity to share. Thanks. All right. Is anybody going to get up and leave now? <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like a challenge, yeah? But that reminds me, Kevin and I, well, you could just give me permission, yeah? Kevin and I were talking uh, yesterday. China came to us. You know the really cool thing? These are Chinese students that have come. They've accepted Christ. They're, a lot of them are going back to China. Kevin asked me yesterday, wouldn't it be cool if we visited them in China? We have five students at least now attending church in China, five churches. Go back, be part of their lives in China. China will become our next kind of mission field. Wouldn't that be cool? So, can you tell us a little bit, how has Jesus changed your life? Okay, um, I think first, Jesus Christ has made myself understand I'm a very weak person without Jesus Christ. And then, after believe in Jesus Christ, I think, personally, I'm a more honest people. Become honest. I, that's what I think. That's excellent. That's awesome. It is very hard to get up in a lot of front a lot of people. I can't even do it. English is my first language. She's a, this is a second language. She's doing awesomely. So tell us about, since you became um, a Christian, how, how has your witness changed? How do you live it out for Jesus? How, how do you, I think you have a great story. How do you tell others about Jesus in that way? Okay, there's one story I can share is uh, once when I work in a lab, so 
Sometimes I will feel uh, so much work stress and um, very tired. But there is one, uh, one day I feel very strong power deeply inside my body. And after that, I, I am ready to, be, uh, to get baptized. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. So when I first came to this church, uh, John and Rich uh, told me many things about uh, Jesus Christ, but I denied. But I kept thinking about everything. But at that point, I, I think I thought I was a, a strong person, but actually I was not. And um, uh, when I when I when I worked, I can see how weak I am. So that's why I accept Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Thank you very much. This is Alex Jichun. Thank you. So I'd also like to introduce you. This is EU, uh, Jenny. So she's, uh, like I said, I've already learned a lot from her. She's coming. She's going to be helping out uh, a lot. Um, you also have a great testimony. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit, how has Jesus changed your life? Very hard to speak in English. I'm very nervous. Um, I think I cannot say that God changed my life. Uh, in just a few sentences, because God changed my life at every moment and day by day. Um, but I think that before I believe in Jesus, I am a person that never satisfied with my life and never satisfied <laughs> satisfied with myself. Because we were taught you should get in better, you should do it better. Every time, even I get A, my parents will ask me, why, why don't you get all A's? So every time, I didn't feel satisfied with myself. But after I believe in God, I, be I enjoy the life. And also, I'm very satisfied with every people around me. So that's a big change. Well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about, you're doing a lot. So she's getting a PhD. She's doing a lot in the ministry. Tell us a little bit about your heart for ministry, how that came about. Oh, that's a wonderful story. <laughs> yeah. Um, my husband and I, we met, on, we met with each other on campus when I was 18 years old and he was 19 years old. And at that time, he's a PhD student about physics. So he wants to know where is the first power in this world that makes this world look like this. So he, he tried all his best, but he didn't know. Then his, his physics professor, help us to read Bible in China. At that time, we uh, read Bible on campus in a very secret way. So he just uh, teach, taught us, say, this is kind of a West literature book. So at that time. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we, we, went to, we went to Hong Kong and we were baptized there. And Pastor Dai, he how to say that? He baptized me mm -hmm. and my husband we, at the same day. And when I went back to China, Shanghai, I realized that Pastor Dai was the fifth descent of Pastor Dai. 
Hudson Taylor's. So then I read some book of him. I was so inspired about his story. So that's why. And so in my heart, I think the campus ministry is really very dear to me, because my husband was baptized through campus ministry. And then when we went back to Shanghai, we we became a host family uh, as a campus ministry. And that is a beginning of house church. It's about 15 years ago. Well, thank you very much. That's awesome. Thank you. So just to all the students from China, we just want to reaffirm that we love you. And it's an honor to be part of the family of Christ with you. Um, yeah, we love you.